0: I knew that I was lying. I knew that I was keeping this a secret because I didn't want anybody to fix it. I didn't want anybody to take away this experience of amnesia from me.
1: This is Little America, a show about the immigrant experience, one story at a time. I'm your host, Kumail Nanjiani. you know those in-between moments when you're not really sure where you are or what's going on around you? Like when you're coming to after a dentist puts you out or, or waking up from a dream and it takes a minute to remember what really happened, what's real, what isn't. That feeling is pretty disorienting to be cut loose from your own life story, even if it's just for a few seconds. But then thankfully, you come back to your senses. You're like, okay, phew, I'm back. Well, We're about to hear a story about forgetting yourself. But instead of just a couple moments of confusion, it went on for much, much longer. It happened to Ingrid Rojas Contreras, who's an award-winning writer now, but this was back when she was in her 20s and just getting started. She was living in Chicago on her own, a continent away from where she grew up. One day, she had to pick up a dress she'd brought in for alterations. So she got on her bike and began pedaling away from her apartment. Here's Ingrid.
0: So the moment of the impact is both the last thing I remember and the first thing I remember. It was just a very wintry day, but one of those strangely sunny, cold, wintry days. So I'm biking. A door opened suddenly in front of me and I just crashed into it. I flipped in the air and I landed and I hit my head very hard it felt like my brain had moved in inside of my head and I just wanted to get away as quickly as possible I got to the intersection which was Madison and Halstead and that was the moment where I couldn't quite remember where I had come from where I was going and then, just I repeatedly looked at these words, Madison and Halstead, Madison and Halsted. Madison and Halstead, trying to call back some kind of memory or information, Madison, and there, there was Halsted. just nothing that came to me. And then I realized, oh, I don't know what city I am in. And then I realized I don't know what year it is. And then it became larger, and I realized I don't know what my name is. And it became larger, and it was, I don't know anything at all. I don't remember anything except that impact after the accident. I suddenly felt that there was some kind of weight that I had been carrying, and that suddenly I was free of it. It felt like I was the truest version of who I was or who I could be. It felt like I, I didn't have a personality. I wasn't weighed down by a series of events that had happened. I wasn't rooted in family. I wasn't rooted in country. Everything felt possible, and I felt an impossible lightness in my body. I was just looking around at this intersection, just mesmerized by people walking by, and I was seeing traffic and cars stopping and then going, and I was experiencing sunlight for the first time, and then feeling it on my skin, and then being like, that's amazing. (laughs) Amnesia just means that uh, some information is lost, and whatever that information is will change from person to person. I didn't know what my name was, but I, I did see a bike and I could say, like, that's a bike, right? Or I saw a car and I could say, like, that's a car. One of the things that I remembered in that moment was, oh, there's a place that's called an ocean. What I wanted to do was to find my way to a port and then onto a boat. I've always just had such a strong connection to the to the ocean. I love that it's a horizon that we can't live in. I love that the, the top of it is so beautiful and the whatever's underneath is completely mysterious to us. I wanted to live on a boat in the middle of the ocean. I noticed in that moment that I was carrying a bag I said, oh yeah, the clues to my past are in this bag, so I'm gonna throw it away. I took it off and I was about to just put it in the trash when I saw across the sidewalk in the in the building that was there, there was a black window. And I just made eye contact with this woman and I gave her kind of like a haughty look. And the woman gave me the same look back, and I realized that I was looking at a reflection of myself. Looking at my skin and noticing that I'm brown and just seeing how black my hair is and noticing like, wow, my eyebrows are so big. (laughs) And I knew that I had come from somewhere else, and I understood in that moment that I was an immigrant. You can be an immigrant in different ways. It can be a violent thing, or it can be an economic thing. It can be a fear thing. Um, It can be a courageous thing. I, I just, at that moment, just kind of really felt invested in finding out what kind of immigrant I was, you know, where did I come from and, like, what caused me to leave and, like, who are my parents and what are their lives? Do I have a good relationship with them? I, I started to wonder, like, do I belong to anyone? And that just made it so difficult to go through with my plan, which was disappearing and going to a boat. Because suddenly now I was invested in the past just by seeing myself. You know, is it better to know your life and know the pain of your life, the joys of your life, the love of your life, the tragedies of your life? Or is it better to be in the in the present moment always and, you know, be free from from knowledge? So I just, I really didn't know how to decide in that moment. So what I did next is that I... I found my cell phone and I remembered how it worked. And I just dialed the last person that I had been speaking to, which happened to be my sister's fiancé. To my own ears, I was completely put together, even professional. And when he answered and I just said, hi, how are you, immediately... He was like, what's wrong? Where are you? Are you okay? What's wrong? Where are you? There was a way in which he could hear crisis in my voice that I couldn't hear. He said, you you have a sister. I am your sister's fiancé. You have to get to a hospital. You need to call Jeremiah, your boyfriend. And I heard myself say, oh, no, I know all of these things. It's the adrenaline. And I remember just being surprised by how quick that response came and surprised that I knew the word adrenaline. I called my boyfriend. Um, He told me to just walk to the corner and read out the street signs to him, um, which I did, and then I just kind of waited. And... I just, in those moments, like I, I didn't know what to do because I, I knew that he was coming and I, I didn't know what he looked like. And I knew that he was going to expect me to know him. Um, and I didn't know how I would pretend that I did. He arrived. I actually, of course, didn't know if that was the person that I was waiting for until he started to walk toward me and he called out my name. And I, you know, hugged him and then kind of like my head found naturally this nook by the side of his neck. And, you know, like in a way that I I don't actually remember hugging that person or I don't remember spending time with them at all I don't know who they are but my body has this body memory of this is how our bodies fit together when we hug I knew that this was a person that I you know that I was safe with we went together to the ER they took a scan of my brain and when we were waiting for the results to come back the doctor asked me are you remembering things strangely strangely does anything seem off to you? And I said, no, everything is normal. I knew that I was lying. I knew that I was keeping this a secret because I didn't want anybody to fix it. I didn't want anybody to take away this experience of amnesia from me. So I, so I lied. The doctor, you know, he asked like, can your boyfriend stay over with you? He has to wake you up every hour and ask you questions just to make sure that your brain is not swelling. And then in that moment, he, he said what the questions would be. He was like, what is one plus one? What year is it? What city are we in? I was like, oh, OK, so I have to figure out what the answers to all of these questions are, which I don't know what the answers are. So we got back to my apartment and we walked through it and I'm like, I, you know, nothing, I don't, nothing is familiar here. I don't know what this place is. I don't even know the layout of this, (laughs) of this place. But I'm just looking around for mail because I'm trying to see what city it is. And then I was repeating these things to myself, trying to train myself for what would come that night. <laughs> so I was like, so one plus one, one, plus one two. is two. You know, the what city is year, Chicago, the year is two, two thousand seven. I'm like, my name is Ingrid, his name is wow. Jeremiah. So I was just like, you know, ready. I was like <laughs> getting prepared for this test. What is one plus one? Two. What 2007. Two my name is Ingrid, Who city is two, two thousand Chicago. seven. What's the year? I spent so many hours just in bed, just staring at my brain and just being fascinated by what your brain is like when you don't have memories. I, I wanted to kind of spend all my time just staring at my brain and just was so fascinated by the desolate, beautiful place that it seemed to be. And I remember just saying these questions out loud, what are you now that everything has been lost? Um, who are you now that you have no memory? And there would just be this silence in response and that the silence felt eerie in a way and kind of um, very strange and surreal. Um, And the more that I listened into what this silence was, the more that it felt that it wasn't, you know, absence of language, but that it was a different language. It just felt like I was, I was experiencing something that I had no language for, and it felt like a soaring. In the middle of the night, my boyfriend, he asked me a question that the doctor hadn't given as an instruction. Um, what country are you from? My immediate reaction was fear. Like, leave me alone, I'm sleepy. And he said, just tell me where you're from, and then you can go back to sleep. I was just feeling interrogated in bed next to someone that I don't know who he is, who's asking me where I'm from. Somehow, that feeling of fear opened up the memory that I was from Colombia. You know, it was was almost like an association, because I grew up in fear living in Colombia. And I've often felt afraid living in Colombia. And I felt very proud of that moment of having retrieved the memory. Um, But I also kind of felt very sad that I had called back something. And now I was suddenly becoming more flesh and blood. It was very unmooring. Anytime that I experienced a memory coming back, Felt very difficult because I I have so many kind of hard memories in my background. My my dad had been kidnapped and then let go, and I remembered that my sister and I were almost kidnapped. So I you know I just remembering those things were just very difficult. But one day, I remembered my grandfather. I I just remembered that he was a, a curandero, a healer, and that. People had said that he could move clouds. The The closest word that I can find in English would be medicine man. They know how to talk to the dead, um, and it's a syncretic tradition. I remembered my mother had always been very curious about that, and she had always kind of asked her father to teach her things, but... he said that women couldn't practice and women couldn't become curanderas. And he kept saying, no, this is not meant for you. Later, I remembered, oh, wait, she, when she was little, my mother lost her memory, too. She fell down this empty well, and she hit her head, and she went into a coma, and she, she couldn't wake up. I was without a memory for eight weeks. For her it was something like eight months. The accident it was, it functioned as a door for her into this new type of seeing and new type of being in the world and when she recovered and her memories started to come back, she you know, started to see things that weren't there. She could hear ghosts and she could um, see them. And so my grandfather felt that she she was now meant to become a curandera. She was now meant for it. Once I started to remember my mother, I think that that was what maybe like tipped the scale where I suddenly felt that I didn't care, you know, what other memories came back. If I could have those, if I could be my mother's daughter and I could be my grandfather's granddaughter. My mother would sometimes pray into water, kind of like breathing the words into the water and then would give the water to that person to drink. And the idea is that the water would be this prayer that you're ingesting. Um, and that would help with what was ailing you. She was constantly pressuring my sister and I to to drink through large um, soda bottles so that she could refill them with our tap water, say a prayer, and then sell them to people. My sister and I being kids, we would, you know, be both drinking coffee because we're, you know, Colombian children. And I would, like, steal my, my sister's coffee and I would, like, blow into it. And I would be like, there you go, you will get an A in math today. So we were just, like, making fun of her for, for what she did. My mother had said when I was a little girl, don't ever tell anyone that your grandfather was a curandero and don't ever tell anyone that I, that I am a curandera. She didn't want people to, to say that I was... Barbaric or that I was uncivilized or that I was or that I was uneducated, like she was just trying to protect me from that as as a young girl, I translated what she had tried to do for me as like we should be ashamed that this is our background when my mother's family heard about the amnesia they I think they were really hopeful that I would end up like my mother that I would be able to you know to see and hear ghosts and I was telling them about how amnesia was very cinematic and how um, how it was just like being in this empty landscape and they said like yeah yeah but are your dreams prognostic in nature they had been waiting (laughs) with bated breath trying to to see and figure out if something had shifted for me in the direction of becoming a curandera. And when I told them no, and I was just, you know, um, had, you know, was the same normal person that I had been before, I I there was this moment where I saw their faces kind of fall a little bit. Like there was this moment of disappointment. There was this pressure that, Um, you know, the accident had happened and that it was already kind of a rare, unique thing for it to have happened that way and that I just, I messed it up somehow. The moment that I saw their faces fall and just how disappointed they were in that moment, I felt bad that I (laughs) wasn't a curandera and that I couldn't do the things that they had wanted me to. So I guess I, I felt bad because they felt bad. And, you know, and maybe there was a little bit of me that just kind of still wonders, like, oh, but what would it be like? And what would it, you know, what what is it like to be like my mother? Maybe that's, a, you know, 1% of me, and then the rest is just very happy not being here. <laughs> you know, at the end of all the memory loss and the, the return of memory and after everything... Um, what happened to my mother didn't happen to me for her um the the accident and you know, r- returning to her memories had given her what she always had wanted, which is you know, to become a curandera. and for me, it I think it gave me what I didn't know that I wanted, which was to get rid of this shame and to be able to live my life in a more um, whole way. You know, having a sense of pride with my lineage and my family and you know, not being kind of secretive about it. So it, you know, so I I didn't know that I needed that and I didn't know even to want that. Um, But that's what the accident gave me. It's very hard to pinpoint when I felt completely returned to myself but I know there was this day where I could kind of like make a run through my memories and I could say like oh I was I was born here this happened this happened this happened that I was a you know first generation immigrant I came from Colombia that I that you know that I was very much loved by my parents and just come from this you know, lineage of of healers. Um, I wonder if it's like that moment when you realize that your parent is a very complex person, and that they have lived so many lives before you came along. Maybe like the largest satisfaction that I got from. Remembering my family and remembering my grandfather and remembering my mother was that I felt a sense of belonging in it. It, it was answering, you know, who do I belong to? I belonged to those stories and I belonged to, to those people.
1: Little America is an Apple TV Plus podcast from Epic, produced in conjunction with the Vox Media Podcast Network. This story was reported by Lina Misitsis. Our editor is Lisa Sueb. Our engineer is Adrian Lilly. Brandon McFarlane composed the show's theme song. Emma Gross is our senior producer. Zach Mack is our showrunner. Nishat Kurwa and Josh Behrman are the executive producers. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts and watch Little America on Apple TV Plus where available. Season 2 of Little America premieres on Apple TV Plus on December 9th.